0: The aroma of palm oil and spices hung heavy in the air, mingling with the nervous hum of anticipation. The year was 1968, but in the heart of Zuri's home, time seemed to stand still. Birth here was not just a biological event, it was a symphony of ancient rituals and unyielding love. Zuri, her face strained with the exertion of childbirth, lay bathed in the golden glow of lamplight. Around her, the experience of womanhood and motherhood unfolded. Her mother, Ifyok, a woman whose hands had cradled fourteen lives, moved with the quiet grace of a seasoned midwife. Aunt Ebel, Zuri's constant rock, offered words of encouragement, her voice a soothing balm. And Ada, Big Jay's mother, her eyes wise and knowing, ensured the room was a haven of warmth and support. In the living room, masculinity simmered like unspoken prayers. Big Jay, his broad shoulders hunched with worry, paced like a lion in a cage. The birth cry, a primal scream that tore through the air, momentarily stilled his movements. He met his father's gaze, searching for solace in the weathered face of Mosey, a man who had witnessed thirteen such births before. She'll be all right, Mosey rumbled, his voice a slow river of reassurance. Zuri is strong, like the women of our line. And those three watching over her, they're the best crew a woman could ask for. A smile, like a sunbeam breaking through the clouds, creased Mosey's face. We all have our roles, son, he said, a hint of wistful nostalgia in his eyes. And it's time we moved on to the next chapter. Big Jay, his heart a pendulum swinging between fear and excitement, found solace in his father's words. Mosey, often called Moses, had regaled him with tales of their lineage whispered stories of African kings and queens. While Big Jay no longer held them as literal truths, they were threads woven into the fabric of their family, tales he would pass on to his own children. Then the door swung open and Ada's voice, clear and sharp, pierced the silence. It's a boy! Mosey, his eyes brimming with a lifetime of anticipation, rose. He followed Iphioch, who emerged with the swaddled bundle, a tiny fist clenched against the world. As Mosey cradled the newborn, the years seemed to melt away. He was young, Mosey, again, his own father placing him in the arms of destiny. He looked into the baby's eyes, pools of liquid brown reflecting the flickering lamplight. In that gaze, Mosey saw not just a grandson, but a legacy. He stepped outside, the crisp, march air a shock against his skin, and raised the child towards the star-dusted sky. In the language of his ancestors he proclaimed sigukulela uminka kokoko bethu which means we turn minka over to the ancestors This was more than a naming ceremony it was a surrender a trust placed in the hands of unseen forces Minka a mere 7 days old had only just begun his journey on this vast planet As a newborn he had mastered the simple rhythms of life eating sleeping and the less glamorous aspects of infancy However, on the fateful day of April 4th, 1968, a restlessness seemed to grip him. He cried and fussed with an intensity that belied his age, refusing all attempts at consolation. His parents, Zuri and Big J, found themselves at their wits' end. Minka was their firstborn, their introduction to the trials and tribulations of parenthood. They had never encountered such a challenging infant before. In their desperation, they turned to the most reliable source of wisdom they knew—their own mothers. Zuri and Big Jay, each in their own time, reached out to their mothers, hoping that these matriarchs, who had collectively raised twenty-seven children, would have some sage advice to impart. They had weathered every storm, or so they believed. Little did they know that Minka was no ordinary baby. Beneath his cherubic exterior lay a destiny that was extraordinary. Unbeknownst to them, Minka was destined to leave an indelible mark on the world, a legacy that would echo through the ages. Ada, Big Jay's mother, and ifiok Zuri's mother, arrived simultaneously at their children's home. Stepping out of their respective vehicles, they exchanged a glance that spoke volumes. An unspoken understanding passed between them their maternal instincts already sensing the reason for their summons. Despite still raising teenagers of their own, they were reservoirs of wisdom, their experiences molding them into pillars of knowledge. Upon entering the home, Zuri was immediately met with a flurry of questions from the two matriarchs. ifiok guided by the piercing cries echoing through the house, made her way to the baby's room. Ada, on the other hand, gently ushered Zuri to sit down, her inquiries revolving around feeding schedules, sleep patterns, and diaper changes. Her concern was not only for the baby, but also for Zuri, ensuring that she was taking care of herself amidst the chaos of new motherhood. Big J, however, seemed to be struggling to grasp the gravity of the situation. His question, Do you think we need to take him to the ER, hung in the air his worry for his son's incessant crying evident. As soon as the words left his mouth, he wished he could take them back. The room fell silent, save for Minka's cries. The women turned to look at him, their expressions a blend of pity and disbelief. It was clear to them that Big Jay had a steep learning curve ahead in his journey of fatherhood. The very moment Iphiox stepped into Minka's room and gently lifted him into her arms, his cries subsided. He cooed softly, comforted by the familiar embrace that seemed to echo the warmth of his ancestral homeland, Africa. Ifiok's voice, soothing as a lullaby in her native tongue, coupled with her tender touch, calmed the restless infant. As fatigue set in, she passed Minka to Ada, who had a natural affinity for soothing babies. Ada crooned a soft melody to him, also in her native tongue, her arms rocking him gently, lulling him into a state of tranquility. Minka snuggled in even more. Then it was Zuri's turn. The moment Minka left the comforting cocoon of Ada's arms, he grew fussy, his cries threatening to fill the room once more. Zuri tried everything, feeding him, burping him, changing his diaper, but nothing seemed to pacify him. In desperation, she handed him over to Big Jay, hoping that he might have better luck. But Minka remained inconsolable, his restlessness unabated. Ifyok, sensing the escalating tension, took Minka from Big J. The moment he was nestled against her, he felt a wave of comfort wash over him. He snuggled into her chest again and, lulled by her steady heartbeat, drifted off to sleep. Zuri, overwhelmed by feelings of inadequacy, left the room in tears. Ada, ever the pillar of support, quickly followed to offer words of encouragement. Zuri's tears flowed freely as she voiced her fears. He doesn't like me. I'm not good enough. Ada enveloped her in a comforting hug, her words a balm to Zuri's aching heart. No, girl. Minka loves you. He just needs some time to adjust. It's like he knows that your mom and I are closer to the ancestors, and it seems as if that's what he wants right now. He can sense our connection to the land and the spirit. He loves you and Big Jay, too. Just be patient and gentle with him. He is a special child. He has a purpose in this world. I just know he does. I can feel it when I hold him, the way he smiles when he is sleeping, and it is up to you and Jimmy to raise him. Your mom, Mosey, and I will teach him the ways of our people handed down in secret by the ancestors. Our ancestors, and by proxy us, we are stolen people on a stolen land. With a deep breath, Zuri collected herself and stepped back into the warm, familiar confines of the kitchen. Her mother and Big Jay were seated around the worn, wooden kitchen table, and Minka was snuggled to her mom's chest, their faces covered with concern. A few more tears rolled down Zuri's face as she began to prepare dinner. Her movements methodical and practiced, she then turned the radio to its lowest setting, just slightly above a whisper. Ada, sensing the tension, quietly followed Zuri and began to assist her in the kitchen, her hands moving deftly over the ingredients. ifiok watched Ada closely, and when their eyes met, Ada offered a reassuring nod that signaled everything was under control. Ada, her voice soft but steady, said, Mosey might be hungry. Can I call him and ask him to join us for dinner? Her proposition was met with surprised stares from Zuri and Big Jay, as if she had uttered an obscenity. Recovering quickly, Zuri agreed, of course. Ada, apologetic for the unexpected reaction, called Mosey at their home. Mosey was self-sufficient and trying to decide what to cook for his own dinner, but he was interrupted by the shrill ring of the phone. Yes, he responded, I'll be right over. With a sense of purpose, Mosey switched off all the lights and the radio, enveloping the room in silence. He strode to his truck, the gravel crunching under his boots, and started the engine. As he turned on the radio, the news hit him like a punch to the gut. A solemn voice announced that Martin Luther King Jr. had been shot. Overcome with anger, Mosey let out a guttural scream. No! He sat there, frozen in shock, listening to the radio until the end of the special bulletin. With a heavy heart, he drove to his son's house. The familiar sight of the house did nothing to ease his pain. He had cried the entire drive and doesn't even remember how he arrived at his son's home. Grasping the doorknob, he pushed open the door and stepped inside. Tears streamed down his face, a silent testament to his grief. Ada, upon seeing him, rushed over. She enveloped him in a comforting hug and asked, What's wrong, baby? Mosey, his voice choked with emotion, kept repeating in a slow, deliberate tone of suffering, Mega, Malcolm, Martin. He repeated it three times before telling the room that Martin Luther King Jr. was dead his words hanging heavy in the air. Mosey was visibly incensed, his words echoing the room with a profound sense of injustice. He declared that whites, under the misguided belief of their superiority, were nothing more than cowards. Their courage, he argued, was found only at the end of a rifle, a stark testament to their fear. In the midst of this tense atmosphere, all eyes turned to Minka. He was asleep a faint smile gracing his peaceful face. Minka was in the throes of a dream. In this dream he was older, engaged in a deep discussion with Mager, Malcolm, and Martin. It was a sight that held everyone's attention. Mosey paused, his gaze fixed on Minka's serene smile. A pang of sorrow washed over him as he realized that his grandchild was oblivious to the harsh realities of the world this realization filled mosey with a profound sadness however just as minka's dream conversation seemed to be drawing to a close a new figure emerged Huey p newton walked into the dream extending a hand in introduction the dream it seemed was far from over mosey held his peace for the moment wrestling with an observation that threatened to tip the scales of his sanity he was certain as certain as one could be that he had glimpsed a third eye on Minka while the infant was ensconced in the realm of dreams. This sight, so out of the ordinary, so mystifying, had him questioning his own senses, yet the image was carved in his mind with startling clarity. A third eye, symbolic of enlightenment in their culture, resting peacefully on Minka's slumbering form. It was a sight that both baffled and intrigued him, a mystery wrapped in the innocence of a sleeping child. He had heard his father speak of things like this, but he had written them off as tales from time long ago. Mosey's apprehension turned to a churning stew of emotions as he watched his grandson Minka sleeping so peacefully in his grandmother's arms. Mosey quietly murmured, No. Each no gnawed at Mosey's heart because now he knew his father's tales were true, yet nestled within the dread a sliver of fascination glinted he remembered his father's tales spun by firelight of the third eye that would be a beacon of power woven into their family fabric. The memories surged. Conversations where the elder Minka spoke of a day that we would see beyond the cotton fields and beyond the barbed wire of prejudice. He spoke of a perception honed like a spear tip, capable of piercing the veil of the ordinary. These whispers held both wonder and warning, promising clarity alongside unimaginable burdens. His own grandson bore the mark of this legacy. The third eye on Minka's forehead pulsed with an otherworldly luminescence that only Mosey could see. Mosey's stomach twisted at the stories his father recounted, the strength of a hundred gorillas, the grace of flight, and a mind brimming with the secrets of the universe—these fantastical powers were alluring, yet steeped in danger. And his grandson would possess them. Most chilling of all was the stark knowledge of the reality that Mosi lived in a world carved by racial divides, where whispers of difference morphed into venomous accusations. He knew the venom white eyes could spit, the envy they reserved for those who dared to deviate from their norms. His grandson, marked by this extraordinary gift, would become a target of their white supremacy. As Mosey wrestled with his anxieties, a new emotion rose from the ashes defiance. He would shield his grandson, become a bastion against the storm that threatened to engulf him. He would teach Minka to wield his gift with wisdom, to navigate the treacherous waters of their world with his head held high. Their lineage, burdened with both blessing and bane, would weather this storm together. Together. The word rasped like sandpaper against Mosey's parched throat. He watched Mink asleep, his chest rising and falling in a rhythm as gentle as the whisper of wind through cotton fields. In that slumber, the boy looked peaceful, untouched by the weight of the third eye thrumming on his forehead. But Mosey knew the peace was ephemeral, a fleeting glimpse before the storm. The word together hung heavy in the air, its meaning like a fragile butterfly poised for flight. As long as Mosey breathed, together was a fortress, a promise against the encroaching darkness. Yet the cruel irony wasn't lost on him. This gift, this extraordinary life granted to his bloodline, simultaneously thrust a harsh spotlight on his own mortality. He was a weathered lantern, fueled by years of hardship and simmering defiance, but the wick burned low. Mosi, however, was no stranger to adversity. He had wrestled poverty to the ground, stared down prejudice with fiery eyes, and nurtured hope in the face of despair. This new challenge, born from the luminescence on his grandson's brow, wouldn't break him. Instead, it ignited a furnace within, a renewed sense of purpose that crackled and blazed. He knew, with a fierce certainty that resonated in his bones, that the Third Eye's power couldn't simply be passed down like a treasured heirloom. It needed a steward, a warrior trained to wield its magnificence and navigate the treacherous currents it would attract. The responsibility weighed heavily, a yoke on his ageing shoulders. He envisioned years of meticulous instruction, teaching Minka to discern friend from foe, to cloak his power and hone its edge. He would teach him the secrets whispered by the wind, the wisdom etched in the wrinkles of ancient baobab trees, the language of the stars that only those with the third eye could comprehend. The nights would be long, filled with whispered legends and gruelling exercises that would push the boy's body and mind to the limit. There would be stumbles, moments of doubt, and inevitable fear. But Mosey would be there, a steadying hand, a guiding voice and an unwavering shield against the shadows that would forever seek to extinguish the third eye's light.